Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. It's Friday, September 16th, 12.30pm, 2022. Feeling good. It's been a long week, long, long week. Very, very busy. But it's good work, you know, enjoyable work. And um, I'm really fortunate, as always, to be able to do this nice day outside not hot even though there is sun out clouds in the sky making some some beautiful vistas upon the sky upon the upon the firmament <laughs> it's a good day um yes there's a lot i want to talk about today a lot a lot so we'll see what i get to um let's see if i can do a quick flyby of what i'm thinking so far in terms of what to talk about i might cover a little bit about you know my my what i've been working on this week um and then I wanted to do a quick, quick, quick um, thing about respect because of all this stuff going on. I wanted to share this really great, excuse me, goodness, sorry, <laughs> really, get, really great conception on it. Um, I want to talk about, goodness, I kind of got the burps. Um, I want to talk about all the stuff I've been learning in terms of uh, these businesses uh, working with mycelium and different mushrooms and fungus things and all that stuff, these fungus businesses uh, i want to talk about um rushkoff just learned about this dude um what's his full name george rushkoff or something i don't know uh but <laughs> he wrote a book something along the lines of uh the how billionaires are trying to escape and all this other stuff just heard his podcast from the next big idea and uh, it was fantastic i was like how, how have i never heard about this dude because he's talking about literally the same stuff that i be talking about and he was, you know, he, he's talking about it for, for decades now, you know. So I'm just like, this is this is crazy. Like, if people know he's out there, why why do I feel like I'm constantly alone or, you know, kind of crazy with, with how I'm saying things? But I don't know. It was just great to hear him um, speak about the same things I've been, I've been talking about. So I want to talk about that. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's it. Oh, no, no. Love. Yes, love. Relationships. You know, I want to discuss a little bit about that as well. So I got a nice smorgasbord of topics I want to discuss. So we'll see what I get what I get to. Um, so this first one, my week, it has been, like I said, very busy. And uh, yesterday it was extremely stressful because <laughs> I had to go into work. Um, so I usually go into work, go into the office on Mondays and Wednesdays. But uh, for yesterday thursday we had we're working with a um a school um to they're doing some some innovation project around accessibility and they are using us as like consultants and stuff like that so they want to come visit our office so i elected to you know come to the office um yesterday and uh had to be there early at 9 a.m not for them but for some other meetings that we had but freaking oh gosh i got stuck in traffic ended up being like 15 minutes late so they just moved luckily they were internal meetings so they were just able to move those meetings to another time and day but uh that was very annoying because not only was i late <laughs> really late but i also goddamn left my headset at home so <laughs> and i had to use the headset for the meeting so it was like oh my gosh all that for no reason um it was, it was just really frustrating but it was it was uh it's cool you know being in the office like i have it's, it's a nice little office um and uh the rest of the day was was okay 
and um, the the meeting with those those students was pretty cool as well. They asked some great questions about accessibility and, and what they're trying to you know build to help out with that. So that was cool, and I was like, man, I really wish I had a program like that when I was in school. That was it's just amazing. Um, granted, they're in a really rich school, <laughs> one of those crazy private schools. Um, only like 400 students or something like that. They don't have, they don't call it offices. They call it they call it uh, studios. I'm sorry. They don't call it classrooms. They call it studios. And they have like these glass walls and windows and all this. It's crazy. But it was it was cool to help um, the kids, even though they're rich kids. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was it was interesting. Um, this week I've been working on two simulations at the same time. Um, so it's been very uh, stressful, but a good kind of stress, you know, the, where, you're, where you get to flex your skills and, and, and things like that. So I've been enjoying that, um, despite the 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 stress. Um, like I said, it's good stress. Can't say too much about it, but it's crazy because one of them, uh, they had there was an incident that is related to the simulation that we were building, to one of the simulations that we were building, and. It, it just goes to show how important you know our work is because like we're not just building things for 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 whatever for some you know random you know corporate um thing we're building it for the people who's working there right for the everyday workers and trying to help them be safe on the job you know so um this just kind of reinforces the importance of of designing these good experiences and making sure this information sticks so these incidents do not happen so yeah, that's my work, um, work life, um, at home, uh, just been, just been chilling with my partner mostly, I'm having a lot, we had a lot of great conversations this week, um, and this is why I want to talk about relationships, so I guess I'll probably jump over to this topic, um, and keep the other ones for later, but I've been, we've been watching things like the Manosphere stuff together and things like that. And uh, one of the things um, that you kind of hear from f folks like FD is is how, and many other folks in, in this realm, but um, they talk about how, like, it's really sad that a lot of these, you know, people who fall prey to the manosphere, usually conservative types, um, you know, uh, patriarchal um, believers, which is not just, you know, males, it's not just men, but also women, right? Who fall into this idea of what a man should be and things like that and what a woman's woman should be and all this other stuff and have these patriarchal views of the world. And uh, the reason why these Manosphere videos get so popular, right? And uh, I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, Andrew Tate, uh, what's his name? Um, Kevin Samuels, you know, these folks. The reason why this stuff gets so popular is because a lot of people are struggling, right? A lot of people are going through life and want to have this connection, to have this relationship with, you know, a partner, with somebody who they love, who they enjoy. Um, they want to have friendships. They want to have all these things, but they do not have the capacity or the, not, no, I'm not going to say the capacity. They don't have the language for it, right? They don't have the skills for it. They don't have the environment for it. And we were talking about how it's, it's so sad that our current day society makes it so difficult, right, to be social, to establish good relationships, right? Um, 
and it makes it even harder for for intimate relationships right both heterosexual and homosexual relationships right pansexual all the all that all the sexuals right um and, it, and it's really sad because especially for hetero relationships right you have this expectation that it should be easy <laughs> all right that you should you know there's all these male females around it should be easy to have this male female pairing right it's, it's normal right but <laughs> in reality due to how society is designed due to capitalism due to terrible urban planning due to you know um, a terrible political system right all this thing all these things it's extremely difficult to number one meet somebody from the other sex um, and i'm just talking about hetero relationships again it, this does apply to many other relationships of, of course as well but specifically for hetero relationships you have this expectation that it should be easy but <laughs> it's not right it's it's difficult to be in to find somebody right of the opposite sex who you are attracted to and then on top of all that you have this expectation of what each other should be before you even get to know each other right we're often raised to think that males should do this females should do this right to have even this male female strict dichotomy right you have this expectation growing up that women or girls you know should like the color pink and play with dolls and are soft and gentle and this that and the other and males you know little boys should be strong should have like the little like like uh the color blue and or really any other color except for except for a pink you know um then they should you know do this that and the other so it's because of these expectations you don't have a realistic view of the world and people grow up with these expectations with these indoctrinations with these beliefs of what the other person the other sex should be and even what their own sex should be right how they should play the roles of their own identity and because of that there is so much discom discombobulation so much confusion so much anxiety with relationships precisely because we don't even have an accurate view of reality right it's like growing up and, and saying you know and thinking santa claus is real and really thinking that santa claus is real everyone who tells you says you know this is santa claus every you know winter every christmas they're gonna come and you know um give you gifts and if you don't get gifts it's because you were bad it's because you were bad and so one day you do you one christmas you don't get gifts and you think, oh, I'm bad, I'm terrible, you know? <laughs> I must have done something bad. But then you get to an age where you're like, but what did I do? I don't know what I did that's bad, right? And so now you have this um, identity crisis. You're like, am I bad? Or is the world lying to me? Is Santa Claus out to get me, right? I'm going somewhere with this. Stick with me. <laughs> I'm coming up, coming up with it on the fly, but I think it works. All right? You have this identity crisis where you think Santa Claus is real, but he, you know, is out to get me. Right? Maybe he's colluding with my parents to not get me something. Right? Or you, you come up with all sorts of things, but your core fundamental belief is Santa Claus is real, but they just, you know, are doing something wrong like i can't be bad like i don't know what i did that's wrong 
right? Or maybe you do think you really did something that's wrong. And so now you hate yourself. You're constantly going through this self-hate. You think, oh, what should I have done? I should have done this. I should have done that. You know, so now you're going to go out and search for what else you can be, you can do to be better so that Santa Claus can come and give you gifts. <laughs> right? Either way, you have this identity crisis and you're going out in the world to search for the answers. Right? That's what's going on with this, with relationships, with especially heterosexual relationships. But it, it's true for many others as well. But especially gender expression and sexual um, expression, right? You're taught this is what's real. This is what's what, this is the consequences. This is the good and bad. You know, uh, this is who you are, or whatever, right? And then when it turns out not to be true, <laughs> when 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 something when it turns out that you know the expectations don't stack up, now you're thrown. In this identity crisis, and you don't really know what is wrong, like what, where you went wrong, you know, what is the the bad parts, and so you end up searching for the answers elsewhere, out, out in the world. And other people who either know this or they recognize some elements of this, right, can utilize that. They say, "Oh, um, Santa Claus is real." But what your parents told you is a lie. He doesn't live in North Pole. He lives in the South Pole. And this is his plan. This is blah, 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 blah. Right? Right? They can craft this whole story around it. And because you don't realize that the, the that actually Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> right? You're going to believe this story. Because you want to believe this story. You want to deceive yourself. You want to, you know, believe in this thing that you will... Uh, taught was real from the earliest of ages right or somebody might say oh okay Santa Claus is not real but you should get gifts every Christmas and here is the person that gives you Chris me <laughs> I'm Saint Nicholas right or whatever or maybe they'll say oh I, I'm Santa yes the Santa is real I'm Santa and this is why I didn't give you gifts or this is why right so either way my the point here is that people other people, right, can manipulate the narrative. And and a lot of people are vulnerable to these manipulations precisely because of this indoctrination. So all of this is, of course, a metaphor for gender expression and sexuality, right? We're taught these things. We're taught to believe that this is the natural way of the world, right? This is what you should expect. This is how things should go. But that's not true. <laughs> and when reality hits, right, people get all sorts of discombobulated. And that's why people fall into all of these narratives. People fall into all of these, you know, terrible manosphere areas where they're just trying to get the answers. But they don't know how. They don't know um, even what makes a good answer or what doesn't. Right, because each person may have a different, you know, curriculum for what makes a good answer or not. And some would say, "Oh, I'm just, I'm just trying to be open-minded," <laughs> but they don't know like how to critique. Right? They don't know how to be critical. They don't really actually know, you know, how to grade the good answers um, versus the bad, or how to get the good from the bad, or what that even means. Because we're not taught that. And it's a, this is a long, hard journey 
to figure that out. You know, I was fortunate because I had some indoctrination in the way of religion, but not that much because my mother was very much against that. So even though I was in an environment, right, where where most people were trying to say this is how the world works, my mother was constantly like, I believe this, but maybe it might not be true. I don't know. <laughs> right? Like she would say, yeah, she's a SDA person, but she wouldn't like force us to go to church every Saturday. Like my grandparents would try to force us to do. And so constantly from a young age, you know, I was taught that yes, the world works a certain way or it seems to work a certain way, but it's not certain. <laughs> right? It might be wrong. And I had my this whole, you know, process myself. Of figuring out, you know, what I think to be right and wrong and all this other stuff. But I, I thank my mother for always having, always instilling in me, right, some some openness to being wrong, <laughs> right, to, to understanding that the stories that were told might not be true. Right? She didn't say it explicitly, but it was through her actions and through the fact that she didn't push me so hard to believe a certain way. That allowed me to explore. That allowed me to be curious. And of course I'm not the only one. I'm just saying just from my experiences. Many of us probably have these different experiences growing up for different things. Right? That we can more readily accept uh, change about. Or readily go and learn more about. Many of us have these things. But personally that was my experience. But with a lot of these manosphere people. Right? They didn't have that specifically, right, for things about gender expression and identity, right? They didn't really have that much. And you can tell by how, how quickly or rather how um, strongly, right, they cling on to these ideas. You can tell by, if you, <laughs> by how they respond when you critique those ideas. When you say, oh, uh, this is not a good person to listen to and this is why. Right? This is not a good idea and this is why. They, oh, no, no, no. You blah, 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 right? They go on all defense mode. <laughs> it's because they didn't learn, you know, they didn't have that space to explore, to be curious, to, you know, accept being wrong. So... All that, all that saying, all that to be said, like, I really enjoy, you know, this, I like to, how one of the comments put it, this, this era of, um, unapologetic, uh, empathy, right, where you're having empathy for people who seem to be, you know, on the quote-unquote opposite side of the spectrum, who seem to be, you know, a little insane. Who seem to be, you know, believing in all these things that you think is crazy. A lot of the um, left-wing ideology I really like. The quote-unquote bread tube and stuff like that, right? To at least today, as of the 2022, has a lot of this, you know, radical empathy. <laughs> this this understanding that yes, it is very very frustrating and. And annoying and, and aggravating that these people believe in these things that are very violent and are very, you know, intolerant and are very unfortunate. But these aren't necessarily bad people, right? 
There's a reason why they believe these things. There's a reason why they fall for these things. There's a reason why these things are so popular. So it's it's really good to uh to hear that and to to you know really to really delve into that. But um yeah. In addition to all of that, um, we were talking about you know our own relationship, and uh, that's something I'm, I'm gonna have to do a whole other episode on. But I want to talk more about that stuff too, like love and and all that. Like, how do you create a good relationship? Because I like to think that we have my partner and I have a great relationship. <laughs> you know, it's not always perfect. You know, and that's something that we're working through too. Is like when you have this expectations of what should be perfect, right? You have this expectations of what the other person should be or what the relationship should be um this expectation of perfection in each other or whatever um and but when you confront that right when you realize okay it's not going to be perfect and the other person is not perfect but we really enjoy each other you know for our flaws and we're constantly working you know with ourselves and each other and all this other stuff right then you can foster that really powerful relationship and you can get closer and closer to each other so yeah, I would like to talk about that um, in the future episode, but we, we've got to have, you know, more conversations about that, and we're, we're seven, almost eight years in the making of our relationship, and it's, it, we're, st- we're still constantly finding ways to be closer, and it's, it's so, you know, it's so amazing, so uh, I'm so fortunate to, to be able to, to be able to do that. Um... But yeah, I think I'll end this segment here and jump on over to this Rush Cough dude and this fungal stuff and all this other stuff because it's more or less related. I think I'm going to make this an actual segment. So, <laughs> um, here we go. Okay, new segment. Um, so, his name was Douglas Rush Cough. Douglas Rush Cough. And, um, yeah, I really want to share some of these things I've been learning. Oh, oh my gosh. Before I get into that, <laughs> real quick, I do want to share this really good conception about respect that I was talking about in the last two episodes, right? Real quick. <laughs> so I just wanted to share this. Like I was, I was talking about before, you know, how people view the idea of respect and, and why we should respect people certain ways and this, that, and the other, right? So the last epi- two episodes, first it was talking about Jordan Peterson, and it was talking about how that seemed to have scaled up Right, my my prediction, my my not not quite a prediction, but my statement on how I think, how and why I think people, you know, have this conception about respect. Right, this idea that oh, you should respect people and therefore not talk about them after they pass. You know, or you know, you can't talk about people a certain way because they're of a certain stance, stance um, st- or standard. Right, they have a certain authority or this, that, and the other. So you can't critique them. You know, um, you have to talk about them in this specific manner in order to show your respect, right? <laughs> and, it, and it's a very important topic because, you know, um, people hold their entire identity around this idea, right? People hold their entire, you know, um, perspective on life based on this idea of how, you know, how they're respected or how you should respect others. But, um, yeah, I won't rehash the whole argument I was making before, but I do want to just shed light on this on this perspective I was I was thinking about. Um, so in this Twitter thread, people were saying, 
I'm not sure if this was a quote from Bell Hooks or not, but it might be might have been inspired by her work or whatever. But uh, they were talking about how people view respect in two ways, right? This respect for authority versus this respect for humanity, for one's humanity, right? So, and it's really sad because people confuse these two, right? They confuse respecting one's authority for respecting one's humanity, right? And that's why people can talk past each other. So what do I mean by this? Great example, once again, is this Queen thing or Jordan Peterson, whichever one you want to use, right? Let's use the Queen for now. This is so topical, (laughs) right? She passed. And people... Are saying, oh, why are you why are you glad that she passed? Why are you dancing, you know, and all this other stuff? Why are you bad mouthing her and all this other stuff? <laughs> um, show some respect, right? But what do you mean by respect, <laughs> right? Oftentimes, the more authoritarian type of people, right, more conservative type of people, might mean to respect her authority. The fact that she was a queen and she presided over so many people and she ruled for, you know, so long, for decades, right? They think that affords her some level of unshakable respect. And with that respect means that, you know, as with authorities, you don't really question authorities. You, you know, kind of be grateful for, you know, what they have done for you, for other people and all this, that and the other, right? Common common i want to say patriarchal ideas yes even though she was the queen it's still a patriarchal idea right of this uh authoritarian figure in which you should respect or if you don't if you don't want to call that patriarchal matriarchal is still the same it's still a hierarchical right hierarchy based idea of respect the idea that you respect people based on how high they are on this pyramid of um of power but the other side of it is respecting people's humanity right people for their humanity right for instance calling somebody by their you know pronouns is respecting someone's humanity because regardless of how much power they have right they most likely don't have much power and that's okay you respect them because they are a human being and as a human you know that's how they would like to be addressed you know that's their identity you know not just for play but their actual identity in which they try to go through life as this person and so calling them by such pronouns shows that you respect them as a human being right this is different than you know calling somebody you know sir or ma'am you know, purely because they are an older person, right? You're respecting them based on their perceived authority, right? As in, they're an older person. or And that's just a micro version of it, right? The sir or ma'am type of thing. Another example, a more exaggerated one, but still very common one, right? Is, again, one's status, right? As a professor or as the president or as, you know, a ruler of some type, right? As a quote-unquote leader, Right, respecting uh, people's authority in terms of how much power they have is very different <laughs> than respecting somebody as a human being, right, for their humanity. And mistaking one for the other 
creates all sorts of really bad problems, right? It's very similar, in my opinion, to, you know, uh, humanizing a company, right? If you humanize a company, if you say this company has rights, right? This company has a perspective and this, that, and the other. Um, you're re- what you're really doing is trying to uh, mask the fact that this company is actually a whole bunch of people. It's actually a social um, organization, right? In which depends on a number of uh, assumptions, and which depends on really its existence and its exertion of power in some shape or form, right? So trying to uh, humanize this company is, is really a practice and um, what do you call it? Concreting. That's a bit, I need a better term for that. A, a, it's a practice in solidifying, right, the power that that company has, that those group of people have. And that's really important, right? Because when you are, quote-unquote, respecting someone's authority, what you're literally doing is solidifying their power. You're saying, yes, I, you know, address, you know, I recognize that you have this power and I am in some shape or form um, advocating for it. Right? I am some shape or form uh, confirming that you have this power, conceding that you have this power, you know, granting over my power to you, like, or, or at least granting that you have this power. Maybe not granting you power. In some way, yeah, you are granting them power. And that's really important, right? This is why it's so important to make this distinction. It's not just pedantry. It's not just, you know, a, a, a empty philosophical view. Like I said a couple episodes ago, philosophy is extremely important because it's how we see the world. And how we see the world pretty much defines and constrains and limits or influences how we go through the world, right? What behaviors we allow. What... Um, actions we think is right or wrong and therefore what we as individuals and as a society think uh, will tolerate so by respecting one's authority it requires you to to uh, confirm to solidify their power usually their power over you or, or other people so, to say that you should respect somebody based on their authority assumes a whole lot, <laughs> right? And makes you almost complicit in what that authority figure will then do with that power or has done with that power. Versus if you, you know, respect somebody for their humanity, then that's it, right? You're not, you're not really complicit in what they're doing and all this other stuff you're not really you know um giving them much power or or anything like that it's just like i you know i see that you're a human being (laughs) i see you you know as a person and people like to think that oh this should be you know um a no-brainer right like obviously i'm respecting them as a human but it's not right because people do this all the time very often, uh, 
when you respect somebody's authority, you are almost certainly, especially if they're a bad person, right? If they're a bad leader or if they have misused that power in some shape or form, you're almost certainly disrespecting other people's humanity because of how that power, how that authority figure has acted. Right? And this may seem like I'm I'm pulling strings maybe or I'm, you know, assuming things, but let's take a real example. Once again, the queen. <laughs> right? By respecting her her authority, right, as a royal, as a a person who has had some level of influence, some level of uh, of um, wealth, right? Some level of status for decades, right? People admit that she is a symbol of the ruling party of the UK, of Britain, right? And that means, as a symbol, you stand for what that ruling party, what that nation has done, right? If you say that, oh, um, the na- what the nation has done doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't fall under what the symbol is saying, like it, it's it's it doesn't even make sense, right? <laughs> You're saying that, oh, this this person is just a symbol for you know this nation or whatever, but is not responsible for what the nation has done, right? That doesn't make sense because what we use symbols for. <laughs> right is to symbolize is to say you know this stands for this you know if i uh look at a i don't know look at a a, a tree or something like a, like a the a picture of a tree an image of a tree all right i say this symbol stands for this tree <laughs> if i ask you know uh what has the tree done Right, I can point to this this symbol and say this this symbol. I can write a bunch of facts under the tree, under the what the tree has done, and say, okay, this symbol. I don't know if this is making sense. This is hard to come up with on the fly, but <laughs> the point is that you know, it seems to me that in order for us to make a symbol about a thing, in order for us to call something a symbol of of a thing, it has to signify the thing in which it is symbolizing for, right? So you, you can't really separate the symbol from the thing because then it's no longer a symbol of the thing. It's just, you know, uh, it's just a picture at that point, right? <laughs> it's just a word. Same thing for the queen, right? You can't say that she's just an individual because not only does she symbolize, you know, the British Empire... Right, as a, a, the British royal family, the British royalty, but she also has very real um, advantages based on that. Right, once again, her wealth, property, power, influence—all these things. Regardless of what you what you might say, oh, she used this power, or did not use this power. The fact is that just having that <laughs> means that. You are at least passively using this power, right? And you are complicit. You are standing for, you know, what that power has done. Another example of this that many more people can relate to probably is nations. And is why nations is so dangerous of an idea, even though it's commonplace. The idea that 
you can be a U.S. citizen, for instance, means that you are in some way complicit for what the U.S. government does, regardless of whether or not you have a U.S. government job, right? Regardless of whether you voted for what the U.S. government is doing. The fact that you are a U.S. citizen means that you are inherently complicit in what the U.S. government does. And that's what makes it so important, right, to not sit back and say, oh, I washed my hands. I didn't have a direct say in it, right? I'm just here. <laughs> and this is also why nations are, are so easy to fall under and to, to indoctrinate people into, right? It's like the devil's bargain, like saying, oh, you're, you're part of it. You're complicit, so you, you can't, you know, complain, right? <laughs> you're complicit, so, you, you, you know, you have to accept for what we do. And this is why it makes it similar to that Santa Claus example earlier, right? It makes it easier or almost a necessity for people to deceive themselves and saying, oh, yes, I am a U.S. citizen. This, this is something I should be proud of, right? This is something I should have some, some um, you know, pride over, this <laughs> of being a patriot, right? Even though you might know, even though you know that the U.S. government has done a lot of bad things, you're incentivized to accept the good with the bad. And that's what makes it so difficult to change, so difficult to, um, to let go of this idea of nation states, of being in this nation. Because, you know, just by the fact that we were indoctrinated from birth into being citizens means that we don't, we don't, we won't question you know, the very idea of needing to be a citizen, the very idea of having a government or anything like this. This is why things like anarchy, right, is so scary and so and, and so quickly dismissed by so many people. Even though there's plenty of facts and figures around about what anarchy actually is, it's an instant boogeyman for people because the very idea of it, right, calls into question the fundamental uh, assumptions the fundamental aspects of your life of your identity got a little bit off topic there but the point here is that by respecting somebody's authority or something authority right some systems authority some titles authority whatever we are inherently being complicit or at least okay with, which is basically complicit, right? Passive in a passive way. We're being complicit in how that authority uses that power. And to some extent, you're reinforcing that power. You're solidifying that power. Because what is power if not something we grant to people? Especially if it's a non-physical thing, right? The assumption that uh, I should do something if you tell me to, right? Yes, maybe at the very bottom of that, there is this inherent, you know, threat of violence of you physically, you know, hitting me or forcing me to do it. But there's abstractions, right? There's layers of it. There's layers of perceived power of the fact that I should do it because you said it. And you are of this status. You have this, you know... 
made up <laughs> um status points almost like 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 a game where you have these you know you see these these skill points and you say okay that person has more skill points that has higher levels than me they must be better <laughs> right we have this inherent environment in our minds in which we feel like is real and so every time we perceive that environment every time we you know um um respect quite frankly that environment we're reinforcing it we're saying yeah this is real this is what we should pay attention to this is why people who you know who don't respect authority figures are so scary in some ways right they have this um um what do you call it the devil may care attitude right there's this not like not phased kind of careless not quite careless but you know you know what i mean right this kind of laid back i don't really i don't really care attitude this is no fucks given attitude all right and it's, it's very in some ways it's very attractive because it kind of symbolizes in some way right this idea of freedom that we can have but in other ways it's very scary because it's like oh wow this person can't be controlled right by these perspectives by by this um, perception of power by this narrative then what can i do there right then then i literally have a less power over this individual then the only thing i can depend upon is the physical violence right that means you have to revert to the most basic <laughs> examples of this power rather than use all these you know um abstraction levels of power so this was way longer than I said. I thought I said it was going to be, you know, short. So sorry. <laughs> just went on a tangent, on a tangent, on a tangent. Um, I'll just end it here. <laughs> but I hope I made some sense there. Um, and I'll make this another segment and keep it moving. All right. So finally, let's talk about some future technology stuff, right? So. Like I said, I've been watching or listening to some great podcasts um, on the Business for Good podcast and uh, the next great idea talking about some uh, some future technology stuff. So I don't recall many of the company names, but at least three companies I've, I've heard so far in the last week or so are working on some uh, fungal technologies, right? Some fungal or... There's a whole 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 thing about this, right? What do we actually call this? Like, better term is is not even fungal, but like because a lot of people apparently don't like that word, but you know, um, fung fungi, fungi, or um, even just mycelium, you know, myoprotein or mycoprotein or whatever. Um, they're still trying to figure out the names, but nonetheless, people are working on some uh, fungus-related. Um, Materials. So, so one company is working on growing fungus or a certain type of strain, I forget which, uh, that can vastly increase the carbon sequestration. Um, is that how you say it? Sequestration? I don't know. <laughs> the ability for, you know, the ocean to sequester uh, carbon. And uh, that one was pretty cool. It seems pretty interesting. I don't... That was almost two weeks ago actually i heard about it i just now remembered about it but <laughs> that one's interesting the more recent ones i heard about um so we're working on 
uh, growing. There's, there's apparently solid state versus liquid state uh, ways to grow some sort of fungal thing, fungal strain or myocillium strain. Um, again, I forget the details, but it's pretty cool <laughs> that they're trying to create a protein replacement, right? So instead of, you know, of course, eating meat, you can have this new type of food, which is, you know, almost like a, um, like a, to like how tofu, right, can be a good replacement for diff different types of food or different types of meat. But whereas a lot of people may not like tofu or don't like the soy or can't do it or whatever, this fungus um, or mycelium-based food will be a different way of doing that, right? Different type of food that you can use instead of eating meat. And the importance of that is, of course, meat is one of the biggest carbon uh, emissions kind of industry, right? The, the, the need for like all the cows <laughs> that we use in, for our beef and our milk. Right, growing or creating space for this livestock creates a massive amount of carbon emissions. Every everywhere from clear cutting the forest uh, that they that that's there in order to build or in order to create this these grasslands for them to feed on. So you're releasing a whole bunch of carbon by clear cutting all these forests, and that further destroys the environment makes it um, easier for erosion and flooding to happen and all this other stuff. And of course, biodiversity vastly, you know, destroys a lot of biodiversity. And of course, all that carbon gets released by burning down all that forest. And um, the trees aren't there to now grab, you know, that carbon and stuff like that. So that's just on that end. And then in addition to that, you now have um, uh, these, all, all these cows here. And they are pooping, you know, they're <laughs> pooping and farting and all this stuff. And all the methane, methane they make um, makes the, the, the atmosphere worse in that area, um, really for the entire area, for the entire world. And then in addition to all that is what do they eat, right? They eat not just, you know, the, the grass there, but they, like, they feed them um, uh, corn, right, usually. And so this corn... It needs even more land to produce so not, not only do you need all this land for the for the cows physically to be there but you need a bunch of more land for all the corn that they that they eat all the grain that they eat and of course we use a lot of this corn in our current syrup right and, and which makes up almost all of our food <laughs> so you have this massive amount of land um, being used for just the meat industry but of course you know other stuff as well and then um, you have, of course, the slaughtering of all these animals and the incineration of their pieces and their parts and all this other stuff. And then you have the transferring of all the meat and the refrigeration of the meat. And, you know, it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot that goes into it. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of carbon emissions there. There's a lot of reasons to replace meat, um, especially as, specifically as a staple diet. And that's something a lot of people don't understand is like like to say, oh, meat, I love meat, you eat it all the time. But we've shown many, 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 many times <laughs> that we are not built to eat meat all the time. In fact, our ancestors, right, only ate meat, um, what, less than 30% of the time? So it's important that even though we call it hunter-gatherer cultures, 
like I said before, it's mostly foraging cultures, right? Because they mostly forage for food. And hunting was more of a luxury, was more of a you know fun thing to do for the young men who, who didn't really want to do anything else, right? They, they would go out and hunt, but most of the food right, that people depended upon was not the meat, was not the stuff that they hunted. It was the stuff that the people at home, right, the women, the older people, the children gathered, right, the, the fruits and berries and um, all of the foods that they might find that they can forage. That was far and for a long time the bulk of our meat, or I'm sorry, the bulk of our food. Meat was just a luxury. And um, once you do have these areas, yes, people do enjoy meat, and that's why you know some people began to um, raise the cattle, right? Some people began to uh, domesticate these animals so that you can have it more readily at hand. Right, and that's still a very um, old tradition in many places, such as uh, in Africa, where you have these people um, that walk. That, that their entire wealth is like based on how much cattle they have. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, that's a big part of human human history, but it's not you know the norm. For the norm was uh, foraging these other other things and even with the people who, who have the livestock right they still don't eat meat nearly that much because <laughs> not only is it you know um very difficult but it's also not healthy right and we see this is that the more meat you eat the more um heart disease and things like that that you have um, granted there are some people with some types of conditions and some types of metabolism that can eat a whole lot of meat and there are some cultures that can and do need to eat a lot of meat but that's precisely that's usually right and an uh exception right those are usually people who live in areas in which you cannot forage for other things such as the the um people in the north atlantic right and the northern areas where it's very cold and you don't have a whole lot of um, fruits and vegetables and small game around, right? So they have to fish a whole lot or they have to get a certain type of meat a whole lot um, because they can't get those those proteins and, and, and all that other stuff from the rest of the environment. So it's really important to realize that, you know, meat is not really um, a norm. And on top of all that, fungus is very um, healthy for us. It's very amazing of a, of a product very amazing of a material and it can help in a lot of different things so it's cool to hear you know all these different companies and stuff like that working on them um another one i heard which is not fungus related is this thing called olivine right it's this type of rock apparently where um i think it's a type of volcanic rock that sucks up a whole lot of um carbon and again is good for carbon sequestration so this this company that's working on um creating olivine or finding olivine and putting it spreading it on a bunch of beaches or really creating beach restoration because a huge part huge problem of climate change one of the many is that um these beaches are many of our beaches are becoming eroded away because the water you know levels is rising the ocean level is rising the shorelines are rising and it destroys a lot of the beach properties the beach lines and not only is that bad for just you know having beach property but it's really bad for many environments 
because that beach, you know, um, coastal line, these the sands and all of the stuff is home to a huge amount of biodiversity, a huge amount of um, not just things that live on the beach, but things that like turtles that you know nest away from or the kind of edges of the beach and then use that to go into the ocean once they are born so uh it's super important for a lot of that stuff super important for erosion right a lot of um our soils and all this other stuff um go through the beach so if you have just a a a stark line like it's just forest and then boom you know water or something like that right you're gonna see a lot more erosion um and there's a bunch of other you know um knock-on effects of of these eroding shorelines so yeah there, there are companies that are trying to make sand or find sand to you know restore these beach lines these shorelines and this company specifically is partnering with them and uh, doing the other stuff to you know spread this olivine to sequester more carbon um and they've created a technique where they can speed up the process of sequestering carbon because usually this process takes a long time, like millions of years. <laughs> but they somehow figured a way to speed it up so it only takes decades, which is freaking amazing. Um, however, something I am concerned about is like, what are the knock-on effects? Like, what are uh, the potential side effects of this, right? So I really hope somebody has done research on that because I hope uh, it doesn't create more issues. But despite all this talk, of these companies. I really wanted to focus more on um, Douglas Rushkoff and his kind of ideas here. He apparently had this book and has been going on tour talking about how um, for a long time he's been talking about like the problems of technology and, and what to expect from the future, uh, right? Like some potential um, um, like expectations, right? So apparently for decades he's been saying, you know, hey, you know, this this might create this effect or this might create that. So he's been <laughs> he's been come to known as a futurist um, in some ways, even though which is, it's kind of ironic because he never actually tries to predict the future per se. He's more so just pointing out patterns, right, with technology and with things, and usually pointing out the bad stuff, right? Pointing out how this can create really bad effects if we don't do something about it. In fact. He was apparently one of the ones that predicted, or at least, you know, found, tried to identify that, or did identify the pattern that would lead to the dot-com um, bubble burst, um, the bus in the 90s, in the late 90s. Um, so he was working at this um, media company, and they asked him to write about, you know, these all these dot-com companies and this, that, and the other. And he was saying, oh, oh no, they asked him to write specifically about the AOL was going to buy Time Warner, right? <laughs> and he was like, oh, write about this, right? And he was saying, oh, this is actually a, a, a great example of a company, you know, about to bust. And <laughs> I expect, you know, it seems like there's going to be a lot of problems that comes after this um, where mm -hmm. these companies that were, you know, doing something are... Or these internet companies are trying to, you know, use these old companies as a way of, you know, gaining <laughs> the the profit that they were losing before, and this, that, and the other, right? So he was trying to 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 show all this, but they didn't they want to believe him, and so they was like, uh, uh we don't like that." So <laughs> you told him like, "Hey, I don't know what to tell you. That's that's what I see, you know." 
maybe talk to the marketing or the business people if you want something more positive so they did they went with that and six months later the dot-com dot-com bur- <laughs> burst and so uh um ever since then he's been you know making these not quite predictions but like you know observations of technology and all this other stuff and he's identifying these problems with technology and even so even <laughs> despite all that he's been known as a sort of futurist so because of all that um there were some billionaires apparently earlier this year or last year or something like that that um invited him over to this crazy speaker gig they paid him a shit ton of money to <laughs> um talk about the future with them right um so he explains this whole thing go go listen to the podcast the big the great idea or next big idea podcast um, I think he has his own podcast, Team Human, but I haven't checked that one out yet. So, but I heard him on this one. And uh, short, long story short, they ended up asking him questions. Right? It was just like five billionaires or whatever. It wasn't even an actual speaking engagement, but uh, more of a conversation. But these five billionaires were asking him about, you know, um, the future. Like, oh, what do you think about AR versus VR? What do you think about crypto? What do you think about this, that, and the other? And then they asked him, you know, what do you think about you know, New Zealand or uh, Antarctica or Australia or no, New Zealand or Alaska, right? And he saw that, oh, wow, they don't actually care about the future. What they, uh, At least, you know, from a um, technology perspective, what they're actually thinking about is how to escape, <laughs> right? Um, how to escape, you know, the coming collapse that they see, right? Because they, they were saying that, so when he confronted them on this, they're like, yeah, we have a, you know, like a 20% they, th- they they were saying that they think they have like a 20% chance or there's a 20% chance that the world is going to collapse, right, in the, in the not too distant future. And so they're trying to prepare, they're trying to create, you know, these bunkers and these uh, things and stuff like that. They had this one question with like, how do you, you know, um, maintain a security force when money becomes pointless, right? <laughs> you know, when our billions become pointless, you know, uh, what do you think about, you know, something like a shot collar or something like that? Like they were asking some crazy questions. And he was just like, wow, these people are out, like, out of their minds. Um, and he was saying this great, he had this great um, way of putting it to where he was saying um, they're trying to outrun their own fumes, right? Like a, like a car trying to outrun its own fumes. So they recognize that they're in some way causing a lot of these issues, right? A lot of these problems, this potential collapse of humanity. And yet they think almost full-heartedly somehow that they can and will escape right (laughs) that they can and um will be able to you know bunker off somewhere and so there he was he was pointing out all these crazy you know billionaire schemes to do this right and it's really sad because i mentioned i don't know years before but there's there's a lot of really cool ideas about the future, right? Like space habitats and um, um, ocean habitats and all this other stuff. But they're trying to use this stuff not to, you know, facilitate human expansion or, you know, um, human exploration and all this other stuff, but to uh, fly away, right? To, to, to try and hide away from the ramifications of their own actions. And uh, he's pointing, he was just pointing out all these things and I'm just like, finally right like (laughs) i i I felt so validated (laughs) because you know this is exactly what i've been saying for for a while like 
we can't, you know, use technology as a means of ant- as a means of solving, you know, all these these problems. And he, like myself, really enjoys technology. Like this is, admits that this is all amazing. That we created some amazing technologies and things like this. But the way in which we're going to solve these problems is almost certainly not going to be through these technologies, right? It's more of an infrastructure level. It's more of a social level, right? And he was talking about how. Um, we need to focus more on local stuff, on locality, right? On getting out of the system, on stop participating in this consumerism, you know, capitalism, growth at all cost based society. Just talking about every time you, you know, spend time with your friends, you know, you're, you're, you're um, rebelling against the system in some way. And I didn't even, it was really cool for, for, to see it like that. Because uh, that's something I've been struggling with is like, how do we really get out of this system where it feels like we're, we're in it all the time? But he pointed out that like the system depends on our consumption, right? On our, you know, use of it to do things. And every year you see more and more technologies that are trying to get us to constantly consume, right? Social media, you know, constantly going through social media, um, so they can see, they can serve you ads and use your data and all this other stuff. So if you put down social media and, you know, talk with your friends, then that's time that you're not on social media, right? And that seems like a very small, you know, insubstantial thing. But think about it, it's really not. Because the more you do this, and the more other people do this, then literally the less data they have, then literally the less income, the less profit that they have. Because if there's less and less people, you know, spending time online, then there's less and less ads they can serve. There's less people clicking on those ads. There's less people, you know, um, going through all that, uh, uh, giving up their data and stuff like that. And <laughs> what's 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 funny is that, um, was it from that? No, it wasn't from that episode. It was from a conversation my I was having with my partner again. Apparently, there's this uh, strike going on. Right, this is kind of unrelated, but still related. There's this uh, railroad strike going on. I didn't even I didn't even know about this, but apparently Warren Buffett and you know his cronies are like, oh, we want to mandate you know a 12 hour shift for all these railroad workers and you know um, all this other stuff, right? These unsafe working conditions. So they're they're going on strike because they don't want to you know have to work 12 hours a day every day and you know, all this other stuff and and you know and they want some some breaks and you know just good conditions. And it's it's crazy because I didn't even realize that they were having these issues, but it makes sense because we are going through a serious supply chain issue um, right now for the last really couple of years, and so I can definitely see that these railroad workers and, and for those that don't own the rail is the biggest way in which you know trade happens in in America, in which the economy functions upon, right? In which inventory is moved across the world, across the nation, and across the world, right? Every warehouse, every um, store, every company, right, depends on these railroads in order to um, function, right? Walmart, how do you think they get all this inventory? It's because a, a huge, um, you know, all these resources are on these railroads. And yes, truck driving is super important and is a big, and is a big part of this. But rail is way and by far like the the biggest, you know. Um, way in which this stuff is transported so 
if these railroad workers, right, these people that drive the trains and keep everything moving are not being treated well, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> and it really, it, it's really crazy to me because to me, it's a simple thing. Yeah, let people, you know, have a reasonable working hours, you know, let people take breaks, let people have safe work conditions, have health care and all this other stuff, and they'll be happy and they'll, you know, have a good, you know, uh, time working and all this other stuff and you could probably even get more people working these rails and all these other things but that's not profitable and this, here's the thing right here's what um Ruskoff also was saying these companies do not care about what is good for people right what is good for humanity they care about growth and we try to say, oh, yeah, growth is a good proxy for um, value, right? For uh, making sure, for, for providing something of value, for showing that people really, you know, this is doing something good and all this other stuff. But since the 90s, right, at least, at least in terms of the internet, right? It's true for other companies before the internet, of course, but since the 90s, in terms of the internet, per- the, 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 the companies that got investment, right? The internet companies that got investment were not the ones who were, you know, oh, yeah, let's let's make the world a better place and do all these good things and all this other stuff. No. <laughs> it was the ones who could turn a profit, right? Who could show that they can scale, right? And this is really important. He showed, he, he was talking about how in the early, you know, days of the internet, of computing really right many of the computer programmers were not the mathematicians and the crazy stem you know folks was actually it was actually the crazy D&D people right the nerds the 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 people who um, were not necessarily good at math per se right but they were good at imagining worlds at playing D&D at tripping on acid and stuff like that like these weirdos who you know would do these sorts of things right and they use coding, right, as a means of creating these worlds. And in fact, many of the, the earliest coding, you know, um, many of the earliest programs and all this other stuff was extremely, you could call it Marxist in a way, right? It, it depended on sharing things, right? This idea that you have a mainframe and you have the, um, the terminals coming off of that, right? They showed that every, the computers weren't individualized. Everybody's computer, right, needed only it was like good at a certain thing <laughs> or could only hurt a certain only hold a certain amount of data. And so you would need to share with other people in order to get, you know, more information. So inherently required sharing a whole lot. And this is why open source was such a big thing at first and was so the norm for a while. And many of the earliest companies that were cropping up were all about, you know, let's expand human consciousness. Let's, let's you know, grow human creativity. Let's, you know, free humans from, you know, wage, wage labor, labor and all this other stuff. There was all these amazing people like from, from Douglas Engelbert even to, um, to Wozniak to, you know, all these folks, right, <laughs> um, that were like, yes, let's, let's do all these trippy, amazing things. But then the dot-com bubble burst. And many of those companies were not profitable. They were enjoyed. Like people liked them and they were changing the world in some way. But they weren't profitable. Right? People weren't paying for a lot of these things. People weren't, 
you know, this is why you had the Bill Gates saying, oh, you know, these, these people are terrible because they don't want to pay for my software and all this other stuff. And he made, went on this whole tirade about it. Right? Because that wasn't the, that wasn't the norm. The norm was for people to share and all this free thinking and, you know, <laughs> free sharing and all this other stuff. And so, you know, the companies that were profitable were the ones like Microsoft. Well, the Bill Gates people who were like, no, let's lock down IP, let's nickel and dime, let's microtransaction. Um, even before microtransactions were super big, right? Let's <laughs> have this IP. You know, Adobe is another great example of like, yeah, let's lock it down so that you have to pay this exorbitant amount and, you know, all this other stuff. Because they were the ones that were profitable. All right, they're the, they're the only ones who really turned a profit, and all these other ones went bust. And so these these investors, right, got <laughs> uh, traumatized in a way, and they were like, okay, you know, from now on, we're only going to be like, you know, make sure these people are profitable. Like, yeah, you can want to say you want to change the world and everything like that, but we care about the profits. Like, how like how are you going to grow? What's the money coming in and stuff like that? And yeah, they they could justify it. They could say, oh. You need profits in order to function, in order to, you know, in order to accomplish your goal of changing the world. But what actually happens, right, is what actually happens is that the profits become the goal, right? And the quote-unquote uh, change the world goal is only, a, you know, it's a byproduct or it's a, it's a, you know, it's the marketing angle that we put it on. A great example is, of course, Google, Right? Google at first was like, oh yeah, let's, you know, never be, never be evil, you know, don't be evil, you know, uh, free the world's information, let everybody access all the information that we can, all this other stuff, right? And it was amazing. And then, as soon as they get that investment, right, <laughs> they start turning a profit, and you had these other people coming in, the, the more business-oriented folks and all this other stuff, you saw that shift. You saw that shift of Google, like, oh, I don't know about don't be evil, let's just, you know, um, be good or you know i guess it'd be something right <laughs> um and it started to be more about the profit it started to be more about how can we serve the ads instead of you know this google engine right the search engine being about how can you find information it's like how can we rank information and how can we rank it so that you know we we um we bias the the companies the websites right that we can advertise to have the most advertisements or have the best advertisements or have the best click-through rates and this, that, and the other, right? And so you start to see this shift in the internet from this free-thinking, open, everybody creating, you know, human consciousness thing to this, you know, what we see today is <laughs> highly privatized, highly profit-minded, highly consumptive, abusive, manipulative um, society. And in fact, that's not, of course, that's not even, that's just the, how it worked with the internet. Same thing, very similar things happened with, you know, the, the, the world of bits and bytes, or the world of, I'm sorry, the world of atoms, you know, prior to that with the railroad and actual computers, you know, before software with the hardware. And, you know, prior to that, you know, the urbanization, right, on the electrification of the world, you know, all this other stuff. You see the same kind of process of these high-minded, you know, goals being subsumed by the profiteering and this is the fundamental problem of capitalism right is that the capital becomes more important than actually solving the problems and people love to say oh yes yeah, you know we, we solve these problems right we change the world right 
but what is the quality? Like, did we actually change the world for the better? All right. As as far as we think we have come so far, as as many people are on the internet or or, or who have electricity, right? The truth is that what actually expanded these things, what actually brought these things to so many people, was socialism, right? Was socialistic ideas. The fact that the electrification of the America, right? For instance, and much of the world was socialism. <laughs> was the the New Deal? Was the fact that hey. You know, the government is going to pay for all of this and we don't have to worry about it being profitable. Just get as many people as possible, you know, with electricity. And of course, there were underlying, you know, interest there. But the point is that if it was about the profits from the very beginning, then it's almost certain that we would not have had electrification across the U.S., much less Internet. And you can see this to, the, to this day because... In the rural areas, there are still many areas who don't have good electricity. Yes, electricity, not even just internet. I'm talking about electricity. Even to this day. And you can actually sh see the shift because you can see that when uh, electricity was thought of as a public you know, infrastructure thing versus to when it got uh, privatized, right? When you started to have these uh, subsidies for companies to provide the electricity, for companies to do this, to do this stuff instead of the municipalities. Then you started to see a shift, right? Where you can have this vast amount of electricity for people who can pay for it. And everybody else, eh, you know, maybe one day if you can pay for it. <laughs> maybe one day if somebody can figure out some way to make it profitable, right? And you see this with the electricity, you see this with the internet, you see this with roads, Right, you see this with um, cars. Right, this is a huge pattern. So it it really shows <laughs> that we cannot depend on capitalism. In fact, the growth that happens from capitalism is more like a growth. I mean, like a ugh, like a tumor growth. Like ew, that's a growth. That's not, yeah, grow, yeah, like we're growing and learning. No, that's, oh, that's a growth. <laughs> you know, the, the growth of capitalism is a tumor. It's a cancer. It's a good idea. It's a good, you know, intention. But it's quickly subsumed by the, the cancerous urge to just grow, by the, by the mutation. Right? And so, uh, to get a little, get back on uh, the topic with Rushkoff, he was saying, you know, it's crazy because these billionaires are trying to escape and trying to create a world in which they can, you know, live, in which they could be self-sustainable, right? They're trying to build these areas like a, you know, um, I forgot what you call it exactly, but like the aquapreneurs who want to build terrains, you know, in the ocean, here, 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 listen to this, you know, tell me if this sounds familiar, if you're familiar with my own podcast, right? They wanted to build on the ocean a, a system where people can have their own little terrain of land, right, of ocean-built land, grow everything they need there, and connect with a community. And if they don't like that community, they disagree with it, with how they're governed, 
they can disconnect and go to another one. Tell me if that doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> this is exactly what I've been saying. We need a world in which we can have free association right, with the communities in which we're in, in which the communities that we identify with. Right? The idea that you have, you have to be a U.S. citizen and you have to follow these laws, you have to follow how this is governed is ridiculous. Right? And yet, this is the world in which these billionaires are using. <laughs> right? And they're trying to control it for themselves. They think that the answer, the reason why we're so screwed today, is, is simply because they're the ones... That's, uh, that's not in charge Like they're the ones that should be in charge And this is the fundamental problem With a, many authoritarian Conservative type of people Is the idea that oh yeah they, Like many of them have good ideas and Many of them identify the problems And even some of the solutions But the way that they manifest it Is just like oh I should be the one in charge <laughs> You know We should follow this rule book Instead Like the rule book that I like Instead, instead of allowing everybody to just do their own thing, this is say, no, 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 no. The answer is that we should follow this rule book, that I'm the one that should be calling the shots and all this other stuff. And that's the fundamental problem here. Yes, we should have these local areas. Yes, we should be able to have this free association, be able to connect and disconnect with whatever communities that we want. But if that comes at the cost Right of other people's freedom. If that means that on, the only people who have access to this free association, right, to these ocean-going terrains and all this other stuff, are people with money, <laughs> you are not solving the problem. You're just kicking the can down the road. You're becoming more of the problem. Because now, you are trying to limit... You know what other people can do You're saying that the only people who can have this freedom Are the people with a certain amount of power And that's not okay and What makes it all the worse Is that these billionaires Have become billionaires And are maintaining their billions Through Right Through this Abuse of power through the the um, restricting of freedoms that people have today, that people are suffering under today. This is why I I shifted away from once again I've said <laughs> I feel like I say this every month or so. This is why I shifted away from wanting to be the world's first trillionaire and all this other stuff, right? Because I realized that in order for you to amass a certain amount of wealth. Certain amount of coins, dollars, of you know, um, economic power. It requires you, requires you to take it from others, to control others, to deprive others, and that's not okay. I just, I just can't, you know, accept that. Even if I feel that I have a lot of great ideas, and it's, and it's like the fact that other people, you know, who are much smarter than me, who have, uh, who have been in much better positions, who have seen much more than me, 
have landed on the same ideas it means that it feels like it's validated. I, yeah, these ideas make sense. But the fact is that even if I feel like if I got a trillion dollars today and was able to, you know, begin to solve these problems, how did I get those trillions, right? It didn't just appear in thin air. <laughs> Most likely it came from a, millions of other people. Right? Maybe if a trillion dollars, you know, fell in front of me, <laughs> even though I don't know how that would work, you know, well, let's say it did, I still wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Because there's what? This entire system is like, how did you get those trillions? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's going? Where did all that come from? Not only will it be taxed, meaning a lot of it's going to go to places where I don't know where it's going, and I can't verify or validate that's going to go anywhere good, meaning. Like the everyday people aren't gonna get a hand of it. It's, it's actually it's probably gonna go into the pockets of the people who are you know controlling the taxes, who are who get to say where taxes go. And that doesn't mean j the administrators. It means the people who who um, are quote unquote representatives, you know, of these areas. Um, but yeah, even if I have this stack, like all this money just comes to me, right? The, the very application of this money would necessitate, would necessitate, uh, would, necess <laughs> would necessitate, right? The controlling of other people's livelihoods it would mean that hey, if I wanna, I wanna build this island. Right. If I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, building this technology or this system or restructuring this neighborhood or this area to utilize more mass transit and all this other stuff. Right. It would necessitate me taking all those people who are going to build that, who are actually going to do the work. It would necessitate them now being in the palm of my hands, them now depending on my trillions in order for their lives to function. And it's not that, oh, uh, I can't take this, 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 you know, this, this uh, burden. It's a, it's a burden that you have to uh, carry, you know. That's an idea that many of these billionaires have and these um, political people have. Like, yeah, it's a burden. That it's, it's hard, but I'm willing to shoulder it, you know. It's just a burden of leadership. No. <laughs> no. It's not a burden. It's slavery. <laughs> not, not gonna say that. You know, it's coercion. I'll say that because it means if at any point in time, right, during this entire process, my mind changes or I, you know, um, am not paying attention, right, or for any reason, right, it could be any myriad of reasons. I could, you know, deprive these other people of their livelihoods, of their ability to, you know, to, to feed their kids, their ability to, you know, um, get the medicines they need or get the mental health facilities that they need, all these other things. It necessitates these, this relationship. That's not a burden. That is coercion. A burden is you picking up a sack of, of 
weight, you know, some some doing some food, <laughs> or I'm sorry, doing some work, right? That's a burden. A burden is trying to be a a a role model for people, even, right? That can be considered a a, a burden because you're picking up the psychological weight, right? You're doing the psychological work, right? You're doing some work in order to carry some load, right? Being an elder sibling, in some ways, it can be a burden. But it becomes coercion when you say, oh, I'm going to be the man of the house. I'm going to be the one that provides. Especially when you say, oh, because I'm providing, you have to do what I say. <laughs> right? You have to respect my authority. The type of people who can have that power and not abuse it in some shape or form are not only exceedingly almost infinitesimally, you know, you know, existent. But they're almost certainly not existent at all. Like they're almost certainly still going to utilize that coercion just in the 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 space of, you know, the fact that other people are going to now depend upon that. The very structure of having that amount of wealth of having that amount of power creates this structure of abuse and coercion and all these other problems that we have today so yeah this is why i do not want to you know pursue wealth this is why i do not want to amass any sort of wealth or power of the sort because it, it really <laughs> goes against every you know sensical thing I can I can find and yes you can you know find some ways to justify it. you can find some ways to say oh yeah I'll do it right or you know it's the, you have to make the right kind of sacrifices and things like that but the minute you begin to go down that path Right means you're shutting yourself off from the very real possibility that Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> Meaning that your fundamental idea is wrong. Because the more you try to justify, you know, you having this power, you using that power, is the further you get away from ever being able to question the existence, right? The the the, the validity of the underlying idea the underlying existence of power of wealth over people this is why I don't see you know I don't ever really see that being a good path so yeah I want to bring this to a close they mentioned a little bit about long termism and it's funny because again this is one of the areas that I was interested in when I was you know younger when I first started this podcast it's like yeah I really think and I still am in terms of the real idea of it right I still believe that 
makes a whole lot of sense to see the world from a long-term view. Meaning that you should think about how the actions that we're doing today not only affect us today, and not only affect us in the next few months or few years, but can affect us for the next few decades, millennia, even millions of years. I think that's a great way of looking at the world. But, right, but you have to be very careful because what these long-termism people are doing, and this is something I had to come to learn, right? I didn't even realize this. And possibly it's because I haven't, like, looked into everything that they've, that they've said and done. Like, I haven't really delved too deeply into what they're doing. But these long-termism people, for those that don't know, like, you might have heard of, um, I'm sorry, I forgot their names, but... <laughs> Um, we have heard of like the idea of like you know we should build simulations or artificial intelligence in order to you know have more life right have more people out there we should accelerate you know um, technological growth right because then we can create we can have technologies that can quickly solve our problems right we can create a 3d printer that can print all the food that we need right with little effort or anything like that we can create ai that allows us to emulate our own consciousness our own minds and have way more you know be able to um create way more people way more individuals and way more people who can do more things and you know for every technology that we don't create right means that we can very much lose right we can very much lose out on the existence of millions if not billions and trillions of other people in the future right <laughs> that's a lot of their ideas there but the problem of course is that it essentially just bubbles down to the uh the ends meet the need or something like what, what's the damn term god damn it <laughs> the ends justify the means right that is the singular problem, or not the singular, but that is the fundamental problem, right? With a lot of these long-termism ideas, the ends justify the means. The idea that, oh yeah, one day there might be billions, trillions of emulated minds, of artificial intelligence-based life forms. So therefore, the faster we can create that, you know, that future, then the faster we can have more people alive, right? It's, they have, a great example of this is the trolley problem, right? Okay, on one track of the trolley is, you know, five people. And on the other track of the trolley is nobody. But for way down the track, way down the track is a million people. <laughs> it might be a million people. I'll say that, right? So if you, you know, are you going to kill those five people right now? In order to save those millions of people that might exist sometime in the future down the other track or are you going to kill millions of people who might exist sometime in the future on that other track just to save these five people all right <laughs> that's kind of like this this that's kind of what this this uh um idea boils down to and it makes it and for some people right some people will say oh yeah obviously a million people is more important than just five people but again, it's not that these million people actually exist. It's that they might one day exist. Right? <laughs> the <laughs> They might one day exist. And 
I can go into a whole lot of other things from this, but I, I just want to try to keep it keep it focused. <laughs> this is why this idea is so deranged and so problem prob problematic. Is because it justifies what all these billionaires and all these you know rich and wealthy people, these powerful people are doing, because they can justify to themselves. That yes, the way that I use my power, it might be hard, you know, it might it might hurt the lives of some people today, you know, it might create some inequality here and there and all this other stuff. But what I'm I'm trying to build something big. I'm trying to build, I'm trying to put a dent in the universe, right? I'm trying to make the world a better place for the future. So that in the you know the decades to come, my legacy, you know will be full of all this prosperity and all this other stuff. I'm doing it for that. Right? But as you can see, as I hope you can see, that is not real. <laughs> and I see this as a person who often thinks about what my, what life might be like in millions of years. Who often thinks about what we can do you know what humanity might look like in a couple thousand years right what humanity might look like or what life might be like across the universe you know I, I think about these big scale things but the reality is that we're not there yet and in fact it's a very 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 high likelihood that we might never we might never we might never get there we might not ever get there not because we're not thinking about these things not because we're not building out these things but because we, we we can trip where we are right now you might be able to see a hundred yards ahead but if you cannot see the gap the vast chasm right five feet in front of you then you're going to die before you ever get to that hundred you know hundred yard goal that's the point here that's what a, a lot of these billionaires refuse to at sea. I don't know why. Well, I have some conjectures, right? Just like that Santa Claus, right? They have this initial thing like, oh, this is how the world should work. And the more they got so far down that line with thinking this is how the world should work. And it was successful. Like imagine, yeah, yeah your parents told you Santa Claus was real and that you never had a Christmas when you didn't get a gift. Every single Christmas, you woke up and there was gifts. And in fact, every Christmas, you woke up and there was more gifts than there was before. And every time, you know, even when you became an adult, there still was gifts. <laughs> and the gifts started getting bigger and better and, and, you know, more close to what you were thinking. Right? Where you really started to believe this has to be true. But in reality, it's really because your parents were, you know, babying you this entire time and, you know, <laughs> making sure that, you know, they could hire people to give you everything that you want. And look, uh, you know, I don't want to go down to that, but you, you get it. You get it. I hope is that there are some people who had this fundamental belief that was wrong, but was real for them. Right. They, they had all this thing like they, they could believe in Santa Claus. And it kept working for them. And so they, 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 they have to assume that this is the correct way of going about the world. Right? And so, yeah, I feel for them. I understand. <laughs> but 
But the problem is that it's most likely that they did have some occasions where they realized that Santa Claus wasn't real. Because other people said, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. Or they had all these other, you know, things happen. But the more they got down it, that down that path, the older they got with this belief, the more difficult it would be for them to question that belief, to stop believing that thing. Because they want to believe it, right? Because <laughs> it works so well for them. So it makes it, you know, they, they wouldn't want to uh, to stray from that. Especially when they're getting so much from it. So yeah, a lot of these billionaires and these, these powerful people who have won so much from the system, right? Another example, Jay-Z, <laughs> another topical thing. He went in the Twitter chat the other day talking about something. Oh, I'm a, I'm a revolutionary. You know, you should stop calling him a capitalist because they're just trying to throw the black man down. They're just trying to create new slurs for black people. Like, no, <laughs> capitalism has always been a slur for anybody that's, you know, engaged in capitalism. That's engaged in abusing other people for their power. That's engaged in, you know, trying to get wealth above everything else. But Jay-Z is another example of this, right? These winners of the system. The people who could believe in Santa Claus and kept getting those gifts, kept getting those wins, right? Those people want to keep believing in that, that illusion, that delusion. So yeah, these long-termism folks are another example of this. And it's very important to, to talk about it because once again, these are the people who are going to make it incredibly difficult to solve the world's problems today because if i say you know many of us say you know hey we should degrowth we should stop doing growth you know slow down the rate of technology focus on local you know ecosystems and local you know neighborhoods and communities and you know stop engaging in the economy and you know focus you know this that and the other they're going to see that as you being morally you know stupid or morally you know corrupt they're going to see that as you trying to stop the growth the existence of millions and billions of people in the future when really you're just trying to avoid the fact that we're going to fall in this chasm directly in front of us if we do not you know um slow down so that's why it's really important to recognize that this is this is a problem. And I, what I think one of my goals is going to be to try and I ain't going to say bridge that gap, but I want to say bridge that gap, right? Because it's arrogant for me to say because I'm not anywhere near these people. Like nobody listens to this. Like this is something that five people listen to. I don't know. I don't know who those people are. You know. <laughs> but nonetheless. It's something I think about all the time, almost daily. The fact that I, I think the best way to make sure that all those people, all that prosperity exists in the future and far into the future is if we slow down. Right. And I'm coming up with better ways to communicate this by, for instance, looking at history. Right. If you look at history, you see that the people who survived. Right. For the longest time are not the empires, are not the people who built huge empires very quickly. Because almost all of those people died out, <laughs> right? Died out very quickly or collapsed at least, right? The people who survived 
whose culture survived, right? We're the foragers. We're the people who were slower with technology. We're the people who turned back. We're the people who, you know, saw what was happening was like, nah, let's not. <laughs> right? And the reason that they, you know, were later attacked, right? Were later almost destroyed, or some cases were just destroyed, was not because they were low tech or this, that, and the other was actually because they didn't band together with all the other people who believed like them and because they didn't know right they didn't have the 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 sheer amount of perspective that we have on history they couldn't they only were able to see the history of their own people they weren't able to see the history of other people they weren't able to see you know um who was coming and why they're coming you know, they weren't, they, 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 they thought, for instance, you know, they had to make all these treaties with, you know, the Spaniards and all this other stuff. But they didn't realize that these people weren't going to care about that in, in, in the next, you know, decades or so. That they were going to actually destroy a lot of their, you know, livelihoods, even with those treaties. All right. But today we do have more of that perspective. Today we can see more of that. And so as people who turn, turn back from technology or slow down with the, the rate of growth, we can more easily assess these things and we can create better ways of using it, that technology. We don't have to turn back forever. We just turn back until we have a better idea of how to use it better. And in that way, we can leapfrog, right? Just like many pe people do today in Africa, right? There's more people that have faster internet than many people here in America, <laughs> in many places in Africa, because they can leapfrog from where they were before to like the, the fastest Wi-Fi that we have today, right? And so what if we could do that more purposefully across the entire world? But yeah, I want to end it here. I have to end it here. And I, I do need to get to work, even though there's a lot more I want to say. But, you know, we're ended here. Thanks as always for listening, for watching. Uh, you know, think about how we can <laughs> slow down to speed up. You know, think about how we can come together Um for more local communities and be more awesome to each other, to ourselves, and have more freedom. Thank you. Have a great day. See you. Bye-bye.